have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Ireland, the great and powerful Oz, knows why you have come. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives. Tell you what to do, what to think, or what to pull. Who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men. Machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. with Jason Hermes. And who loves you, and who do you love? Good morning, everybody. It's Reality Rants. I am Jason Burmes. This is Red Voice Media, and we've got another jam-packed show for you today. In fact, I thought that the first hour, maybe hour plus of this show, was going to be solely Peter Thiel. And if you do not know who Peter Thiel is, you best buckle the truck up because this guy is somebody who I've been watching, listening to, and not only listening to him and watching where he goes, what he says, but trying to see the fruits of his labor and investments. Okay, this is a guy that I put in my film almost a decade ago, we released Shade the Motion Picture. So on my radar, well over a decade ago, um, basically because he was an up and coming nouveau tech billionaire who had a persona of being a libertarian, right? He was a guy during the Ron Paul revolution, for instance, that got some good spin especially later on with the Tea Party crowd, because he gave money to Ron Paul. And once again, he was portraying himself as kind of like this free speech, absolutist thinking, even the United States had too many restrictions. And in my film, Shade the Motion Picture, Webster Tarpley posits the idea that Thiel put forward of kind of a island that is constructed and built man-made that isn't beholden to the constitution and bill of rights and therefore in in tarpley's eyes this is kind of like the perfect way for a technocratic type slavery state okay now thiel is the paypal guy every time i show that picture of the musker do the musker nuts with that terrible hairline with the paypal screen on the big chunky monitor. He's next to Peter Thiel. Okay. Thiel 
biggest, I think, and first private investor in Facebook. Private investor. Why do why, I why, private investor? Because Teal also is the Palantir guy, which is a broad spectrum of techno surveillance. And now, again, for the better part of more than a, probably a decade and a half, maybe close to two now. Peter's been around the block, been climbing up, okay? But but probably a decade, decade and a half. He's been not only a member of uh, Bilderberg, but a steering member, almost like the younger, hipper counterpart to say, and Eric Schmidt. Although they're both very involved in um, kind, kind of all these fields, right? And, and Teal often plays the good guy. Or at least verbalizes that he's the good guy. Warning of things like, I don't know, AI, climate, nukes, the Antichrist world government. What? I was so taken aback by this. And what we're going to watch right now, and then we'll come back to full circle. And and probably, I'm going to guess because I have all these other clips and all these other stories that I want to get to, is going to be the meat and potatoes of the second hour. Because I, I was going to actually just cut this up. It's about an hour plus long. It's on Oxford's page. And, and I think to myself, you know, is this kind of like an inside, I'm talking to the other, um, you know, quote unquote, I, I guess, I, I don't want to call them elites, but but the next generation of players in this saga, because, you know, again, he's at Oxford, he's in the university system. And I'm kind of letting them in on the secret. I'm, I'm being extremely blunt with them, but then it's also recorded for the internet and it's out there. And then that's one of the things that's extremely powerful about the internet. So I, I was going to try to cut this up last night. And about the first 30 minutes is, is Theo giving a speech and then he gives a, a Q&A. And there was just, every time I wanted to cut something out, I'm like, no, I should leave that in because I want to discuss that portion of it. And look, he used some words even I don't know. Not that I'm some kind of brilliant person, but he, he's speaking in a way that um, is definitely geared towards uh, the crowd that's sitting before him. Now, the next thing that like totally caught me off guard about this clip, and by the way, um, we're going to get to the clip in a minute. I want to shout out to uh, Gons at Face Like the Sun uh, over at, I believe he's over at Rockfin, but uh, he's the one that made me aware of this clip. Okay, and, I, and again, really important clip in my opinion. And he also gave me the link to the YouTube so I could watch the whole thing. W one thing I, I found really odd is that Thiel is sweaty. He's stammering. Now, I've heard him give speeches before where maybe he stammers here and there, but he stammers a lot in this one. I don't want to say that he sounds nervous, but something's off, man. And I mean, listen, I get greasy. I get sweaty. There's a sheen. I get it. But he is ultra greasy from the get-go. And some of the other highlights of feel that I hadn't discussed, because there, there are many, I mean, many. There was no way that I was going to edit this. Listen, in the first, like, 15 minutes, he pops off on the Manhattan Project. He pops off on NASA, okay? He pops off on transhumanism and string theory, and he even uses the term Kurzweilian. And he talks about the false promises we've all been made. And it's like, wow. You know, he, being very starkly aggressive 
in what he's verbalizing here. Okay. So we're going to play this clip of Peter Thiel right now. I'm going to do a small breakdown of it. I want you to thumbs this up. Got 145 watching over on YouTube. Can we get 100 thumbs up? Rumble, same thing. Let's hit the like, share the links. And remember, the second hour is going to be over at redvoicemedia.com slash Jason or slash uncensored. Sign up, 10 bucks a month, a buck to try for the first week. Okay. Or $100. Lock it in for the whole year. We're not going anywhere. We do it four days a week and, and we're adding more. There's going to be a lot more. This is a network, which is awesome. I love that. I want to thank everybody who signed up yesterday. Uh, I think one of the reasons we got the sign up yesterday, a lot of people go over to uh, Podbean just to go listen live for free. We do that with the premium, which is awesome. But the problem with Podbean yesterday is you want to visually see the IWO cards, the one with everything cards, right? So a few people were like, you know what? We're going to give it a try. Thank you. Thank you. Now, listen, after you watch Thiel in this clip, uh, Teal. I always want. I want to say Teal all the time because it's got the H. It's Teal. Uh, one of the reasons we're gonna watch Teal in this clip, and then come back around, okay? And you're gonna, you know, you can just listen to that over on Podbean. It's gonna be almost the same thing, but you can support the show otherwise. By the way, Teal also uh, a, a couple features here. He had offshore research into. Um, experimentation on humans to try to cure herpes. That's another teal rabbit hole you can go down. And he bankrolled the lawsuit of Hulk Hogan against Gawker, which put Gawker out of business because he was upset that Gawker had outed him because at the time he was a closeted homosexual. I just want full disclosure. I mean, teal goes deep. I mean, I'd like to have teal on. Uh, you know, I, I think I could have a civil conversation with him, but at the same time, it's like, you know, these people, man. So, so here's Peter right here. Uh, again, world government, antichrist, all sorts of, all sorts of good stuff. Do not hide under the rock and pretend these things are not real, but we have to make the list complete. And I would, I would include as a very, very serious existential risk, um, you know, the risk, if, if you end up with a one world totalitarian state, that also counts as an existential risk. And it seems to me that we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't, uh, it, uh, we shouldn't uh, short, be too short-sighted about that one. We, uh, we should, we should always fight that. That's something that always needs to be stopped. You know? And at the same time, he's kind of part of this broad, unelected, you know, global governance body that's constantly pushing global governance like i said he's i mean look at him stuttering stammering dark eyes i mean i got the dark eye seconds too you know i'm, I'm I get up early i understand that part peter but boy oh boy yikes let's keep going you know um you know i i, I should i should uh not need to remind you that in the uh you know in the sort of quasi mythological new testament account the the slogan of the antichrist is peace and safety and um, and uh, and that there is there is you know we, we're we're told that um, there's nothing worse than Armageddon, but perhaps there is. Perhaps we should fear the Antichrist. Perhaps we should fear the one world totalitarian state uh, more than Armageddon. And uh, perhaps we should uh, we should stick with uh, some of the tried and true um, ideas of classicalism this this organization 
and this institution has been supporting for 200 years and keep going for another another 200. Thank you very much. So that that's how he closes that out. Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm just going to say the the opening of this thing is just as as interesting and strong as what you just heard. And and obviously, you know, Thiel doesn't or Thiel doesn't strike me as the the religious type one way or the other. And Thiel is one of those guys that is very much also a transhumanist. So so he's sitting there He's telling you he even he even questions scientists and the science. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful speech. Okay, period. And that's that's why we're gonna we're gonna watch the basically the whole thing uh, eventually. I don't know when we're gonna start it back up, but that we're gonna circle back Jen Psaki style to that. We're gonna circle it right back. Uh, and I'll try to at least get five or ten minutes of the last part of the broadcast. So, so you can hear what I'm talking about when he leads in. And again, I, I started cutting stuff out and I'm like, I, I don't need to be cutting any of this out. This all needs to be heard. Okay. So uh, let's move on for a second. Let's keep going down. And uh, there, there's a few stories I want to hit and then we're going to hit a fun one. Not, not as funny as yesterday. I know a lot of people enjoyed uh, what was either one of the best, you know, online dressing downs or, set up sketches i've seen in a while i'm just gonna say that here green apple users fume at new feature that slows charging when clean energy isn't used so what they do is they sneak in the nice little update where you have the clean energy charging oh and, and right now you're able to put it on or off oh it's your carbon footprint so you may have a fast charging device and you may have a fast charger but that fast charger isn't green. It's not Apple official. No, 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 no. Slow, 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 slow. So at first it's kind of, they'll, they'll make it like it's a fun incentive, right? It was a fun incentive to allow, uh, you know, these smart meters in your home for heat and electricity. Fun incentive. No, they're shutting you down. They're shutting you off. They're giving you a new credit score. Now, you know, a, a lot of people have a hard time believing this when I talk about it, but I'll talk about it right now and I'll continue to talk about it because it's just, I mean, it's just who I am and uh, it, it's part of me. Listen, I grew up extremely poor, okay? And I saw people even that were supposedly like middle class constantly going into debt. And then, you know, what was an appearance that they had, you know, more money or better lifestyle would often come crashing down when they didn't pay their debts. And all of a sudden it was, uh, it was a, not only a little playing field, it was almost more devastating for those uh, friends that had to go through that with their families. And as of 43 years young, I have never, I have never, ever, ever, ever had a credit card. Not once. I, I have never taken, I, I've never paid for a car through payments, any of it, anytime. And that being said, I don't know that I've spent, I think like, I think close, I think closest is like close to like 10 grand maybe on a car over the years. But every time I bought something like that, it, usually it's, it's much less than that's in the five to seven range. I guess I've put some money into it. 
I've saved up or I've had the money. I've made the money. All right. I'm not, I haven't taken out a loan. I haven't done payments. I don't have a credit card. And I, I mean, I know people will be like, well, you'll never own a home and you'll never this and you'll never that. How many people are defaulting on their mortgages? You know, secondly, I, even being in Iowa, I love Iowa. I love it here. You never know where you're going to end up. Okay. And all that marketing is just like, when I want to settle down and I want to find something and I want to do it, I'll cross that bridge. But I just don't want to be indebted. I don't want any part of your credit system at all. At all. It's just me. I don't I don't like it. I, I, again, I go back to those walks I had as a kid with my grandfather. He loved to walk. And boy, he loved to pick up change. And just, we're going to put this away, save it up. You know, it's going to be something. I save your money, save, 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 save. I'm not even the best at that, but pretty good at being like, hmm, you know, I don't want to take out some high interest loan because I'm desperate for cash right now. You know what I'll do? I'll buckle down. I'll sleep in somebody's closet, which I have, or on a couch, and I'll work, work, work till I have money and get my own place. Just, just me. Just, just how I feel. All right, let's move on down the line. Uh, I, I don't think I uh, went over this one. It's kind of um, the monsters among us. Nine men arrested in San Angelo for allegedly seeking you know what with minors. All right, just have a look, guys. I'm just I want people to know they're out there. This is in Texas. Uh, let's read their names: Devin Hudson, Domingo Cantu, uh, Benjamin Andrade or Andraj, David D. Lao. Tom Kong Blen, Louis, Luis Daniel uh, Osiaga, Travis Michael Kelly, uh, Joseph Garcia, and Terry Fenley. There they are. There they all are. Let's, uh, let's soak it in. Okay, let's see the faces. Monsters among us. They are there. They are real. Okay. Air in East Palestine is toxic. Scientists release shock report. Is it shocking? showing higher than normal concentrations of nine potentially harmful chemicals, despite EPA ruling train derailment, danger zone was safe. Really? Every one of our institutions right now, every single one, top to bottom, has little to no trust by the vast majority of the populace. Why? Because Deep inside, even if you don't want to believe it, we know you are liars and you are corrupt. And a lot of people are still clinging onto the idea that they are just so inept and they constantly make the wrong decision. They are incompetent. People don't fail upwards like that unless at the tippity top, there's an agenda for these things to continually happen. And then you just like pass the buck. And we'll get into that with the uh, the new lockdown files coming out in the United Kingdom, where uh, I agree with Gareth Ike that this seems to be limited hangout at best. And they're burning, you know, one person, but they're burning them with incompetence, no malice, no malice, right? And going, no, no, no. Just like the eco health thing. And that's why we've also got this great clip we're going to get to in a bit 
of Sam Husseini actually asking of the EcoHealth Alliance funding now. Okay, because we have that big Department of Energy story. And again, I see people posting, you know, jokes about who cares what the Department of Energy thinks. Look, I get it. But you have to understand this is an organization that sounds innocuous for a reason because they are part of classified programs and have been part of those programs that are human experimentation programs. We documented it here. Okay. So, um, again, it, 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 to most of us, this is like saying, hey, the sun is hot and the sky is blue, water is wet, and bacon is delicious. Okay. That's what this is like saying. I, I just, oh, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like death possible, injury possible. And, and and the biggest scandal is not only that they're lying about all this, they didn't need to blow this thing up. Let's repeat it. They didn't need to blow this thing up. They didn't need to blow it up. But they did. But they did. All right, one more story, and then we're going to break into something a little fun, and then we're going to get to some not-so-fun stuff. Um New details emerge in shocking suicide of billionaire Thomas H. Lee. This is the envy of Wall Street, okay? And he's a Clinton pal, the 70-year-old, 8-year-old philanthropist. Oh, I love when they call them philanthropists. And Clinton pal was discovered by a female assistant on the floor of the bathroom in his office, his family office at the Fifth Avenue headquarters of his uh, financial firm shortly after 11 a.m. on Thursday. Uh, the assistant went to look for a boss, a married dad of five, who pioneered the leveraged buyout industry. Oh, because he hadn't been heard from, sources said. First re responders found Lee, also a grandfather of two, lying on his side with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Um, again, I'm not insinuating it wasn't a suicide. Uh, if it was a suicide, you have to wonder why. Remember, all these people, like Harvard guy, Harvard grad, all these people have all the money in the world, seem like they have the apex of power. How happy are they? You know, what demons do they really have? Questions that should be asked, in my opinion. Just throwing it out there. Just me. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm being a little wild. Okay. So, two stories here. Two stories. First one. I want to show this video because when I saw this video, I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. <laughs> I mean, what do you, what did I just watch? What am I looking at? What did I just see? And basically, look, again, I, I keep the social media off of this. The only social media we have is Twitter. And Twitter's where I find a lot of these great stories, guys, uh, including the Thiel one, Teal. Okay. And I see this video and it's posted by Truthstream Media. And it said, you know, what did I just watch? And it seems to be, you know, like this, this young, attractive blonde woman speaking. I'm like, all right, so I'm gonna hit it. And, and the person's talking and they're touching their lips. And they're like, I can't believe this thing is giving me lips. I came up in the time of like the dog filter of Snapchat. And basically this is like a real time beauty filter that doesn't make you look like a painting, but changes your appearance in real time rather convincingly, okay? And I, 
I've talked about this technology before. We've known it's existed. Now it's commercially available. You want to talk about catfish in real time. Uh, here we go. Let's let's just do it to it because uh, this one really, I mean, you make, the, you make the call, guys. I can't believe this is a filter. The fact that this is what filters have evolved into is actually crazy to me. I grew up with the dog filter on Snapchat, and now this, this filter gave me lip fillers. This is what I look like in real life. I mean, look at the eye difference. That's real life. Okay, and that's the eye and and lip fillers. Let's go back again in real time. This is what I look like in real life. And again, it's like not that's not like an ugly person, but this person now has a, a, a different face. And I'm, let's let's bring it back again. I can't believe this is a filter. The fact that this is what filters have evolved into is actually crazy to me. I grew up with the dog filter on Snapchat, and now this this filter gave me lip fillers. This is what I look like in real life. Are you are you kidding me? <laughs> nope, they're not kidding you. And that brings me to my next story, Chat GPT. I haven't played with it. I've considered uh, on this show downloading it live and playing it, by the way, playing with it and, you know, maybe going into the chat and trying to figure out some prompts and asking it questions and having a good time with it. Maybe we're going to do that. But you're going to wonder, this is the next part of AI that we're going to bring into the conversation. Okay. That's what I want to do right now. How am I going to do this? Well, yesterday, I, uh, a rather portly Burmese. Like, like, I need to lose some poundage. It's a bad angle, but whatever. Militich has gained a little weight too. Sorry, Pat, I love you. Uh, and that's Jen's pulver in the middle, okay? <laughs> and pulver just got put into the Hall of Fame. I'll be calling fights now in about three weeks, three weeks from two days from now, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, cagedaggression.tv, baby. Uh, very excited about that. Uh, I love it when that happens. And I went to go shoot a commercial. Now, how does this have anything to do with AI and chat GPT? Well, my buddy, Justin Holston, who's shooting the commercial and we're in his office, actually had chat GPT write the commercial for him after he put the parameters in, in the style of Tim, uh, whatchamacallit. I'm probably going to end with a copyright strike on this one too. Man, I, I maybe we'll play the video afterwards um because obviously you can see there's some cowbell in there in fact we'll play the we'll play the video in uh in the second hour uh, but there's a video and it's written in the style of tim dylan it's with myself um militich man i i, I want to play it. it it's so fun it's I, I mean i do look and sound obnoxious in it we'll wait we'll do second hour that's what we'll do we'll play it in the second hour but the commercial i mean Justin was just fawning over the fact that he didn't have to write the, the script at all. And he just put the parameters in. It took about 15 minutes. And he, he thinks it nailed it almost on the first try. And look, I think there was needed to be a little bit of editing. But for a first draft, it's pretty good. Uh, no sound it. People want me to no sound it. 
Um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what we'll do. I guess, I guess, no, you know what? I, I can't do that either because it's also got a, like a background track and, and not to do shop on the air guys. Um, but I, I was actually trying to, uh, get rid of these copyright strikes from the one like uh, ad I run for, for the network. Uh, if you're listening, Ray, they gave me the wrong license. They gave me a license for not driving rock energy. It was something else. I was filling it out last night. And then I realized that the license that I was trying to get rid of these three copyright strikes for was for the wrong track. So driving rock energy is what we're looking for. All right. So we're going to wait. Uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll get into the not so fun news. I think that the, the visual AI is enough for now. And I mean, we're, we're talking not so fun right now. Not so fun. Did I not I, I pull this one too? Yeah, no, I did. Okay. So look, I think that we need to be concerned about World War III and especially nuclear war. All right. I, I don't like the idea of our, our troops over there. I don't like the idea of NATO troops. So I don't like the idea of people dying. Now, I saw a post from Randy Rhodes, who, you know, has been in the uh, talk radio game for years. I mean, decades. Uh, I believe Randy's been on my show way back in the day. I know that I've been on Randy's show. Randy used to question 9-11. And when I saw Randy Rhodes attacking Jimmy Dore as a puppet of Putin, I'm sick to my stomach. It's like, what happened? First of all, just because you want the war to end and people not to die doesn't mean you're a Putin puppet or a Putin apologist. I mean, to simplify everything as Lord Poot Poot, as if Putin's not beholden to any interests, is like childlike and ridiculous. Or if there aren't the same kind of complex factors in a nation state that size or superpower that size, ridiculous that you can't have a nuanced opinion, ridiculous, that you can't be for peace, ridiculous. So I got two uh, two clips here, back to back, and they're, they're just incredible. This one is Sean Penn, who, again, Holly Weird, this is the new push for war. Forget about the USO and Bob Hope and all that stuff. No, the new propaganda is guys like Sean Penn. He's hard. Hollywood actor, big time lefty. And he and and he actually talks about two things that are just vomitas. Oh, vomitas. One, he says that we're being overcautious about nuclear weapons. Don't think you can do that, Sean. Especially the way things have escalated over there. Okay, that's one. And then he says. You know, we need to give them all this equipment, tanks, planes, but we're not going to have to sacrifice any American soldiers on the ground or lives. And the clip that's going viral right now is Zelensky saying that we need fresh young Americans to fight on the ground and they're going to die. I, you can't make it up. Here we go. This is Wolf Blitzer and Sean Penn. Thing I'd, I'd like to say is, you know, having just just returned from Ukraine uh, uh, about uh, ten days ago or so, is that the the impact of President Biden's trip was extraordinary. I mean, that's uh, that that's extremely encouraging. Oh, he is extraordinary. Biden can barely speak. We'll be playing that clip after. Biden 
can barely talk. Um, I think that when it, that one of the, the things that's concerned me, and I, I you know, I, I think that there's no question, but that they need more ammunition, more uh, long range precision weapons, and yes, fighter jets. Can you imagine if I was on the news, like I'm on Wolf Blitzer, talking about like, I mean, basically like promoting World War Three. Now, I'm kind of like in a pseudo military garb, right? There's a little camel on my hat, but it says killer tacos in pink on it. You know, he's got the kind of like, I could be a Zelensky aide, white t-shirt, you know, plain jacket, camo hat, but killer tacos. And he wants to be taken seriously. Um, uh, this and the, and the issue really is that, um, you know, right now they're dying. Every day they're dying. So, so let's get negotiations on the table. Let's pull back and let's not fuel the war machine, Sean. What are you talking about? What, what we are waiting for seems to still be attached to this, I would argue, overcautious concern uh, related to uh, nuclear weapons. Because I, it, for one thing, if we're going to uh, live in a world where uh, a bully with nuclear weapons um, runs the show, uh, you know, there, are, there was a, uh, a, a former... Uh, Let's just stop it there. I mean, he doesn't answer anything. If we're going to do, first of all, bullies with nuclear weapons do run the show, Sean. Look in the mirror, you dummy. I mean, what what do you think uh, one of our huge strengths are? It's the fact that the United States actually used nuclear warfare. Okay. And then the idea that I want to live in a world, for, because I haven't lived in a world, Sean, where anybody in the world on the globe was attacked via nuclear warfare. I was born in 79, Sean. I'd like to continue to live in that world. I'm not trying to be undercautious. I'm going to continue to be overcautious because the person that you're about to refer to after you're talking about this overcautiousness is a U.S. or former U.S. intel official. You know, again, a professional liar. A professional liar. Um, intelligence officer I'd spoken to in Ukraine at one point. He said, you know, he doesn't live in that, want to live in that world, and Ukraine won't. And so I just think we have to make a clear decision to start um, saving lives, saving infrastructure. And what that means is supplying the Ukrainians. They have no interest in having Americans or others in the fight. They're no interest of having Americans or others in the fight. Are you listening to this man? Uh, did you hear what he said? Because the exact opposite was just said by his buddy. The, I mean, the polar opposite, one end, the other, said the exact opposite of that. No, he still wants... He wants your tanks, he wants your your uh, your equipment, your missiles, your Starlink, your drones. He wants all that. He wants the blood of Americans. I just wow. Let, let's bring it back. I want let's make sure I didn't point. You know, put any words in Sean Penn's mouth. 
in that want to live in that world and Ukraine won't. And so I just think we have to make a clear decision to start um, saving lives, saving infrastructure. And what that means is supplying the Ukrainians. They have no interest in having Americans or others in the fight. They're ready to take the fight themselves. And their their ability to transition on these platforms, be it the F-16s or, or when it comes to the uh, Patriot, uh, is is not, I don't think there's been an honest conversation about how, how quickly they can transition. I think it's oh, there's a lot in the air about how long it takes, how maintenance, fueling, all of that. But there are a lot of uh, many ways in which that can be, um, uh, you know, uh, sped up. So here he is. Okay, you ready? This is your, this is your buddy saying the exact opposite what he just said. U.S. will have to send their sons and daughters exactly the same way as we are sending their sons and daughters to war. And they will have to fight because it's uh, nature that we're talking about. And they will be dying, God forbid, because it's a horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's going to happen. This is we're we're trying to push this. Because there's a zombie in office that doesn't know what's going on who might as well be telling corn pop stories. And I had a nurse named Pearl Nelson, military. She'd come in and do things that I don't think you learn in medical school, nursing school. No, I'm serious, Jack. Pearl Nelson, she came, she'd come in and do things, but ba do ba da And I had a nurse named Pearl Nelson, military. She'd come in and do things that I don't think you learn in medical school, nursing school. She'd whisper in my ear. I didn't, couldn't understand him. She'd whisper, she'd lean down. He'd actually breathe on me to make sure that I was, that there was a connection, a human connection. She even went home and brought back her pillow from her own bed because he didn't do the one where I had the one comfortable. But I'm not joking. I, He's not joking. He can't speak. He's barely rambling. Like he's looking off to the side. The man runs nothing. The man runs nothing. Did I mention the man runs a nada, a nothing. Nothing. All right. And speaking of running nothing, uh, th- this is Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI. He's the spokesperson for the cover-up crew of the FBI. And uh, Ford Fisher, he's an independent journalist. I met Ford a couple times. Nice guy. I like him. Uh, he got his question about the pipe bomber of January 5th, 6th, asked to Christopher Ray. And then the follow-up question on top of that is on, you know, the FBI informants and assets that could have been utilized that day, right? And, and this guy just gives the complete bullshiz answer. The Johnny nonsense. Again, this is this is really what Ray's job is. Ray's job is to take the establishment talking points that have been put out by his agency and reiterate them in a in an authoritative manner acting like they're doing something ford fisher tweets what i'd really like to ask the fbi director on january 5th 2021 a still unidentified person planted pipe bombs at the dnc and rnc which diverted law enforcement um, attention and resources on january 6th with hundreds of other january 6th defendants arrested over two years how 
bomber's still not been caught, does the FBI director feel confidently that they will come someday be brought to justice? Well, I will say that I have enormous confidence in the team, the dedicated team that is. I have enormous confidence in my team. They are the best. Let me say this right now. They know damn well who did that. And they knew that on January 6th. By January 6th, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, someone in the intelligence community absolutely 100% knew exactly what had happened. And I'm going to give you a little hint and a clue as to why. Now, this is speculation. This is Jason Burmis saying, hey, this is my opinion. And my opinion is this. The FBI knew who did it because somebody within the intelligence community, are they're the ones behind it. Whether, <coughs> excuse me. Whether or not they, they were the ones that actually planted the bombs or they just utilized one of their assets or patsies is irrelevant. By, by January 6th itself, after it had happened, because CCTV cameras are everywhere, someone in the FBI, whether they were involved in doing it or not, knew exactly what happened, Christopher Ray. So I don't need to hear this, this just ridiculous, oh, I have confidence in my team. This is the, this is the team that brought you Russiagate. This is the team that's constantly going after the Trump or do for crimes that don't. I haven't been able to get the guy on anything, and they would have loved to, loved to. These are the liars of 9-11, okay? They're an extension of the liars of weapons of mass destruction. They're the liars of the first World Trade Center bombing. They're the liars, liars, liars of the OKC bombing as well. They're the Cointel Pro guys. Do I have to continue? Should I have to continue? They're the guys that cut deals with Epstein in signed documents by Robert Mueller. But, Chris, t- tell us about this pipe bomber. Focus exclusively on that investigation, and we have. Uh, devoted loads and loads of effort into that specific investigation. We've done investigative publicity, calling for the public's help. And so our folks are working very, very hard on that investigation. And those folks, those FBI agents, analysts, and professional staff, I have total confidence in them. And the other Twitter question we get a lot is, did the FBI have undercover agents or paid informants or assets among the mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th? Uh, I mean, he doesn't even get it done, and he's, yes, the answer is yes. That's not speculation. Let me, let me repeat that. That's not my opinion. That's not speculation. The answer is yes. That answer is yes. Period. Of course they did. Yes, yes, and some more with yes. Well, as I'm sure you can appreciate, Brett, I can't really appropriately talk about when, where, and how we use confidential informants. Is it classified? Well, we have information that is uh, about any number of topics that is law enforcement sensitive. Law enforcement sensitive is not classified. Okay. So 
again, I like how Brett, listen, like I'm not a huge fan of Brett Bear. He's pretty much a straight read off the line kind of guy. He gives you, know, he gives you one of those, is it, is it classified? Law enforcement sensitive. Oh, what is, what is classified regarding the pipe bomber in January 5th and 6th, Chris? Uh, but you should not read into my inability to answer a question because of my obligations uh, as that is a clue or a hint in any way about how accurate your reader's um, tweet is. <laughs> Again, he's the spokes guy. That's what he is. He's the spokes guy. Okay. Um, one more of these uh, clips right here. And uh, I want to point to this. This, I think, is going to end up being a very big non-scandal. You know, we got the Department of Energy, and now uh, the leak stuff. Now they're going through emails. And Matt Hancock is saying, they're saying he rejected expert advice. All right, the WhatsApp messages are revealing. He, he was talked to about what he could and could not do, about what the plan actually was, and he went around lockstep, and now he's getting burned for it. But he's not getting burned for what he really did. He's going to get a little slapsky on the wrist and some press, and how could you? And again, incompetence, incompetence. And that's why this exchange right here um, by one of the few journalists left out there, in my opinion, Sam Hussein, we've been uh, highlighting a lot of his stuff uh, because he's been kicking ass and taking names. Here we go. We believe in the importance of doing all we can uh, to understand the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, both in the context of uh, the pandemic we're still emerging from, uh, but also to better prepare ourselves for uh, any future pandemics that are to come. The other part of this is continuing to impress upon the PRC uh, the importance of transparency. Uh, yes, uh, I did call in. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, China pandemic origins. Many have reported the NIH role uh, with EcoHealth Alliance and work, work done to make coronaviruses more dangerous at Ralph Baird's lab at the University of North Carolina, as well as with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But USAID, which is part of the State Department, funded funneled far more money to EcoHealth Alliance especially through its PREDICT program than the NIH did. Uh, I have a couple of uh, questions on this. When will USAID release proposals, progress reports, and correspondence for USAID grants and contracts to EcoHealth Alliance with subcontracts and or other pass-throughs to the Institute of Virology and other relevant entities? I'm not immediately familiar with this contract. These are the types of questions you're welcome to send in to us. I, I, let me, I mean, you did, when you're addressing China, you did say you're doing all you can to address the pandemic issue and you called for transparency. So if I might get these on the record, why does USAID fund bioweapons agents discovery research in particular? Why has USAID funded bioweapons agents discovery research performed in collaboration with China? We have, and again, uh, if we have anything to uh, provide on these specific questions, we'd be happy to provide that. Uh, we have an abiding interest in working uh, with countries around the world on issues of global public health. So you, you look at this, and, and this is why I like Husseini. He used the terminology correctly, bioweapons. Uh, look, I'm not even sure I should be playing this clip. 
we're still on YouTube, but I wanted to play it because I, I think, you know, that th this is in the press room. Th th this is in, in a context that I'm not going to speculate at all. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad somebody's at least asking these questions. It's incumbent upon the United States as a responsible country to do all we can when it's in our interests, the interests of the American people, uh, but also when it's in the interest of uh, the global community, as in as is the case with infectious disease, uh, to work with countries around the world to strengthen uh, this global health uh, resilience. But the, the, the stipulation here is that this collaboration could have caused the problem. Specific question. So there he is, uh, Sam Husseini, Husseini.substack.com, an actual journalist. All right. Like I said, when we go over to the other side, I'm going to show you the uh, chat GPT commercial that came out and uh, Justin added a little spice at the end. But otherwise, the whole thing is written by AI. But first, I want to go back to uh, Peter Thiel. I promised we would watch some of it. Really, that's going to be, again, the meat and potatoes of this second hour. But I really felt like this uh, this was extremely important. So here we go. Well, uh, Charlie, thank you so much for that uh, terrific introduction and uh, a lot of different things to, to cover. I, I'm always reminded of a, a question a colleague of mine liked to, to ask. Uh, what is the antonym of diversity? What word is the single antonym of diversity? And university. And uh, <laughs> did you get it? Did you get it? University is one. Diversity is many. The guy in the in the in the scarf back here got it. He got a little chuckle out of teal. There you go. Just want to put that out there. And I think uh, it is such a great honor and privilege here to uh, to speak here at the Oxford Union where for 200 years, uh, people have been uh, thinking about the, the crisis of the university, the crisis of the West, the crisis of cl classical liberalism. There's, there are elements of this that are, of course, timeless and eternal. And then, of course, there are parts of it that are always, you know, there's always sort of a kaleidoscopic uh, newness uh, and uh, effervescence to, to it as well. You know, I, I, uh, I frame my, my talk as anti, 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 anti classical liberalism. And he's kind of a joke there. Anti, 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 anti classic liberalism. When, when I heard him say that, all I could think to myself is this guy is talking about the post-truth world. And, and, and he gives a lot of hints to that throughout, kind of questioning what what is truth? What are taboos? Who should we trust? Can, can we trust the science if we can't understand it? So you have a double negative that's kind of a positive, a quadruple negative is also kind of a positive. And, and, uh, if you've, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna try to sort of outline, uh, as I see the, uh, the argument, as well as the best arguments against the university, classical liberalism, um, you know, sort of a, the free Western world. And, uh, and at, at, at the end of the four negatives, I, I will still come down um, on something that I think is is quite close to uh, to uh, the values that uh, would have animated the Oxford Union uh, already 200 years ago. Uh, now, I, you know, I, I'll start with sort of a, a little bit of a historical anecdote. You know, I was I was a student at Stanford University in the late 80s, early 90s. We had a lot of these uh, crazy culture wars, uh, you know, uh, wars about the nature of the university. One, one of the ones where I sort of first came in some ways to sort of political awareness was an intense debate 
at Stanford about the Western canon, uh, a course called Western Culture was a required freshman course. In some ways, it was a debate about the course, but of course, it was also a debate about the whole Western civilization it represented. There was a famous uh, um, protest that uh, Jesse Jackson led at Stanford. Uh, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western culture's got to go. It was a sort of referendum on the course and on, and on our entire uh, civilization. And, and uh, I started one of these sort of independent, conservative, libertarian, alternative newspapers. We, we decided we should like uh, investigate it. We needed to sort of describe the new curriculum. We need to figure out ways to denounce the new curriculum. Now, let me just stop this. So he's talking about the, the culture wars all the way back in the 80s and early 90s. All right. And what he's going to about to describe is really the Streisand effect regarding him. So essentially, he's talking about starting this small paper at Stanford with what he's saying are conservative viewpoints. Okay. And, and then he's going to say he finds basically the, this obscure story. And from this obscure story and him shining the light on this story, it gets picked up via, uh, I believe, the Wall Street Journal. And eventually this person gets uh, the Nobel Prize. All right. So so it, it seems like it had the uh, opposite effect of the intended one. But again, let him tell it. And by the way, he starts off again. He's looking really sweaty. He's stuttering or he's stammering. I don't know. Was he out on a bender the night before? And uh, in the 88, 89 term, uh, one of the new classes called uh, the sort of innovative new class was Europe and the Americas, which was uh, not really a non-Western, but more an anti-Western uh, sort of polemic. And you had sort of all these different authors. And I, I thought, you know, I should go to the bookstore and just read through the books and find people to illustrate uh, the, the sort of parochiality and tendentiousness of of this uh, of this new curriculum. And I, I, I came on one book that somehow was almost too good to be true. It was sort of summarized um, like an Onion episode. Everything that was you know a stereotype of everything that was ridiculous about the new curriculum it was a, a story of I Rigoberta Menchu. She was this Guatemalan native, and she had sort of been uh, victimized by every vector of oppression imaginable. She was you know she was a uh, she was a poor. She was a peasant, she was an Indian, she was an orphan, um, and uh, and then you have sort of all, and sort of she sort of achieved some sort of revolutionary communist consciousness in the course of this uh, of this uh, polemic book. You know, she renounces marriage and motherhood, she makes plans for the May Day Parade. These are sort of the chapter titles of the book. So basically he's saying that, you know, he, he tried to find something that was parody level, parody level, and he even references the onion and then names them off. All right, now watch. Um, you know, I wrote it up. And uh, as so many of these debates in campus, it's, it somehow was a, on some level a very narrow issue that somehow kicked off a, a broader discussion. You know, as a 19-year-old uh, junior at Stanford, I managed to uh, get, get, the, get this reprinted in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, when, uh, you know, when uh, some of the conservatives wrote uh, books about, uh, about uh, the insanities of the universities in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, uh, one, one of the uh, conservative people, the, the Stanford chapter was entitled Travels with Rigoberta. And so sort of, it, 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 I, I sort of succeeded in turning her into an icon for, for this thing. And then, uh, you know, then sort of four years, uh, four years later, uh, fall of 1992, I'm now clerking for, for a judge and driving to work in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, on the radio, it's, uh, you know, we, we just have an announcement. We have someone who's just been uh, selected for the Nobel Peace Prize, someone nobody's ever heard of. It's Rigoberta Menchu. And uh, and it's, I sort of realized at that moment that, uh, yeah, I thought I was engaged in some kind of cosmic battle between the forces of good and evil. 
and actually I had just been a two-bit actor in some left-wing drama. So let's just stop that. I thought that was super interesting. The idea that even as a young man, Teal is talking about being in a cosmic battle with good and evil, and then he ends the speech on the Antichrist, safety, right? I mean, public safety and peace and a one world government warning. I think it's it's worth noting, right? And then saying, well, I'm not really that person, unfortunately. And instead, I was just kind of a side player in somebody else's story. I, and again, I'm not so sure that's the case. I think that it's it's cosmic, cosmically more interwoven than that. Um, but to me, this was, again, just a big representation of that Streisand effect. We're going to play a little bit more of this. All right. And then in four minutes, we're going over to redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. All right. $1 for the first week, 10 bucks a month, $100 for the year. Help support the broadcast. You can listen to, to it for free over on Podbean, the Info Warrior. Check out the Podbean. You can listen to it all for free. We do that every day. And uh, today we will be releasing yet another premium broadcast in video format from two weeks ago, like we do every day we do the broadcast, which is Monday through Thursday. So uh, let's go back to Teal here. Where uh, I had completed her victimization. And uh, and then, you know, I, I was the proximate cause of her getting her Nobel Peace Prize, but but I think I was I was the but for cause. But for me, she would not have would not have gotten it. And uh, and this is sort of the odd feature of so many of these uh, these super intense debates where uh, you sort of wonder, you know, what is what is it that is really going on? What is it that is uh, that is perhaps uh, really at stake that that we should be uh, talking about uh, instead? And um, and so if I look back. You know, on, on the debates at Stanford at the time, and to some extent, uh, these debates, I think they've been fought for, you know, for decades or centuries. Um, if, we, if we took not the tendentious left wing, but let's say the sort of bureaucratic university perspective or the establishment perspective, uh, what, they, what they would have said in the 1980s, what I think they still in many cases would say today, what they would have said in the 19th centuries, yeah, you have you have all these you know flaky debates in the humanities about reading Shakespeare and reading these books, but uh, you know we're doing something much more important. The university is about progress, progress of knowledge, and this is especially true in the science and technology. That's where progress is happening, and um, and we can have these these side debates about Shakespeare or Rigoberto Menchu, but uh, we're working on string theory and science and these sort of um, the relief of man's estate, uh, the Ro uh, Roger Bacon, uh, um, Francis or Francis Bacon, that whole that whole thing. That that's what the university is uh, is really all about. And I think this this would have been the uh, the technocratic sort of defense Stanford would have given of itself in the 80s and 90s. Uh, that uh, that that yes, the, the the progress is continuing. It's continuing uh, very rapidly, and this is what's what's um, what is sort of uh, what is going on our society and that's that's what's fundamentally good it's the manhattan project it is the apollo space program it is um it is the progress of, of humanity and uh and as long as we're doing that you shouldn't 
you know, you can complain about these sideshows, but it doesn't really matter. So, so much to unpack there. I want to try to do it in this last minute before we go over, and then uh, I'll give the cue to my producer. He talks, what, NASA and, and paperclip coming out of this technocratic society, Nazi-run stuff. You know, he talks about it as the elitist viewpoint, the university viewpoint of why these things are good, the progressions. And what's really interesting to me as we continue with this, he talks about the false promises of science. And he talks about taboos and dog. I think that this second hour is going to be extremely important, guys. We're also going to play the Pulver Militich caged aggression commercial written by chat, GPT, and more. Come on over. We're going to start saying goodbye to everybody. All right, folks. So uh, all you guys over at Rockfin, I love you, and we will see you soon. Thumbs it up on the way out. Share this over at YouTube as well, guys. And YouTube, that's it for you as well. Uh, Twitter, apparently Twitter was down. I saw hashtag Twitter down. Lots of Elon Musk memes, lots of, lots of Musk or Nuts memes. We'll, we'll see on the flip there as well. And then uh, Rumble, it's a... Uh, bigger and better platform where there's a, a bit more free speech, but still not quite, not quite as much a, as I would like rumble. We got to get even more free speechy. And I know, Hey, Peter Thiel also involved in rumble. Everybody also involved in rumble forgot to even say that my goodness. So, uh, we are good to go. And that means that we can, uh, we can play a bit more of Peter Thiel. But I mean, again, think about what he's talking about. He's talking about the establishment viewpoint here okay and the establishment viewpoint that he's discussing is one we talk about all the time on this program in fact there's so much in here that we talk about all the time on this program uh this was just too juicy not to cover and so i think one of the one of the debates that i came to uh one of the perspectives i, I came to start to wonder about though um in the late 90s 2000s was um you know yeah, we have so many of these culture wars are about these issues that everybody can understand. These books or, you know, Shakespeare versus Rigoberto Menchu or something like this. But um, perhaps things are um, just as unhealthy in the sciences and in, um, in all these other disciplines that are after all far more narrowly the domains of experts. You know, um, you, know you have a sense that if you substitute Rigoberto Menchu for Shakespeare, something weird is going on if only a hundred people in the world understand string theory and you have this sort of narrow group of guardians guarding themselves, shouldn't the a priori assumption be that string theory is actually more corrupt than the humanities or the sciences are in many ways more corrupt than the humanities. And, uh, and one of the, I like that. We, we should assume that the sciences are more corrupt than basic humanity because of the power of the power of the science power. One of the early people uh, who, uh, who drew my attention was a professor at Stanford, Bob Laughlin, who uh, um, got a Nobel Prize in physics in the late 1990s. He sort of was a you know, somewhat difficult uh, person. Uh, a friend of mine was getting his, uh, doing his PhD work with, uh, with, with Laughlin. And, uh, but he had the supreme delusion that now that he had a Nobel Prize in physics, he had complete academic freedom. And he would be allowed to investigate and talk about anything he wanted to. And there are, of course, a lot of controversial topics in the sciences we could imagine. You could question climate change. You could talk about, you know, intelligence and genetics. You could talk about. So he's just talking about eugenics right there. Intelligence and genetics. That's a controversial topic. Climate change is a controversial topic. Uh, 
You could talk about, um, you'd question Darwinism. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are quite taboo in the sciences, but he picked an area that was far worse, far more dangerous than any of those. Uh, and he, for he was convinced that most of the scientists, even at a place like Stanford University, were engaged in borderline fraudulent research. They were stealing money from the taxpayers um, and, uh, and it needed to be investigated, it needed to be stopped. And, uh, you know, I, I don't even sort of, probably don't even need to tell you too much about how that movie ended. It sort of ended quite badly. Uh, he got defunded. His graduate students couldn't get PhDs anymore. And, uh, and the kind of hermeneutic suspicion I always have is that, you know, I won't say it's automatically the case that if something is taboo, that it must be perfectly 100% accurate. But uh, my, my suspicion is that if something is this taboo, this forbidden, you have to at least ask some some sorts of questions. And that that's and again, I, there's a lot in this. I can't help but agree with Thiel on or Thiel on. I think about what think about what he just said. When things are taboo like that, when it seems like you can't question it, when you're supposed to be, I don't know. Well, one one of these doctors that's actually an expert in this field and you go against the science and all of a sudden you're demonized yeah that's something we should be asking about huh as you know give me a break and and the uh you know the general thesis that i've been articulating in different for a for close to two decades is that um there is something about science and technology that's not progressing as quickly the, the specialization means that it's very hard to evaluate uh, you have all these different uh, subspecialists that uh, propagandize about themselves. The cancer researchers tell us they're going to cure cancer in five years, and they've been telling us that for 50 years. And That's a big, I mean, everything he says here is really correct. You know, don't get me wrong. Technology is certainly advanced. We've got the magic devices, but not in the ways that we've been promised and not in the ways they continue to promise towards this utopian society. String theorists say they're the smartest people in the world. They know everything about physics, and we're about to have quantum computers, and and on and on down the line. And uh, and yet, um, in in many ways, we seem to have been kind of stuck. Uh, you know, the uh, if you if you if you, if I go back to when I was an undergraduate at Stanford, almost all the engineering fields that one could have gone into would have been mistakes. It was a mistake to go into aeroastro engineering. It was a mistake to go into nuclear engineering. I think people already understood that by the 80s. These these fields were stuck they were outlawed they weren't going to advance you weren't going to make any progress mechanical engineering chemical engineering all these things were bad ideas I, the one that still held up pretty well in the uh, in the late 80s early 90s for another decade was electrical engineering semiconductors and then probably you know the one the one very silly field uh, that actually did kind of work was computer science and i always think that the that when you have fields that include science, that's always a tell that you have an inferiority complex because uh, you don't need to call it phys physical science or chemical sciences, physics or chemistry, uh, but it's computer science like political science or climate science. It's sort of a, like a deep sense of inferiority. I, and I agree with them there. That, that's very insightful. Like, why are we even, you know, obviously when we talk about computers, you are talking about a scientific field because you're talking about something that not, not only uh, needs electricity, but maintains informations, runs graphic user interfaces, and, and creates digital media of all sorts. Um, and yet these people who were, um, who had like, were, had relatively uh, bad math genes and went into this uh, 
this sort of uh, very, very degenerate field compute, called computer science. This was the one thing that kind of worked the last 30, 35 years. And we had you know, some sort of progress around this world of bits, um, computers, internet, mobile internet, you know, maybe AI, although I really dislike that word. Uh, and there are probably ways that even that progress has, has somewhat um, stalled out or become less utopian in the, in the last decade. But, uh, but for the last uh, 40 or 50 years, outside the world of bits, it has been a story of general stagnation. Uh, and then uh, not just in the fields, not just in terms of, you know, no big breakthroughs, but of course also, you know, if we try to measure it economically, we have this very odd situation in the UK or the US where for the first time in um, decades and centuries beyond count, the younger generation has lower economic exp expectations than their parents. Think about that. That's a big deal. I mean, he's talking, and he's right when he says centuries. For the first time in centuries, you have a, a and and that's social engineering. That's done purposely, okay. And that's my big problem with Thiel. I, I feel like he's a part of that. He's privy to that. He knows this is by design. So you know, is that because because they're at Oxford? Is he kind of explaining it to the next generation on how they can get ahead? And, and he's so correct that there has not been any kind of breakthroughs in my lifetime. We were promised all this magic medicine. What did we get? A bunch of psychotropic drugs and people on a bunch of sick people on medications all the time. Haven't seen any extension in the amount of years that I'm living. Okay. Haven't even seen any extension on the quality of my life health-wise. All right. In general. Now, don't get me wrong. That they're, For those that can afford it, you know, around the 90s or so, late 90s, people figured out, oh, wow, HGH, TRT. Now now we're looking at different types of anti-agers that aren't um, steroid-based or uh, growth hormone-based as well. I talk about NID+, resveratrol, metformin, those things, right? So those are things that we discuss here. And, and that's out there. Teal is one of these guys. I mean, this is a guy that is going to try to cryogenically freeze himself if he can't live forever. Okay. And he even, I think, invokes Kurzweil in, in a moment, how, how we've been promised all these things, but the big breakthroughs aren't there. The communications breakthroughs, they've been there. I mean, if you think about it, what, what have we really broken through on? Bigger and thinner televisions, better video games. Think about your car right oh well, electric car oh wow yeah they go less miles now don't get me wrong the hybrid stuff but how long did that take right i mean how how long does a car last have they improved that think about roadways why are we still using um concrete on the roads are you telling me with all of our science and our breakthroughs we can't figure out a material that's not going to act like that, that's going to be better to pave with, and maybe we can do it once and have minor maintenance on. We couldn't figure that out, bare minimum. Well, where are the breakthroughs? And uh, this is this just very oddly doesn't fit with the sort of Kurzweilian, Panglossian accelerationism, the singularities near and all you need to do is sit back and eat some popcorn and watch the movie The Future Unfold. So, so there's something about uh, 
about the, uh, the, the, the stagnation problem that, uh, that runs, um, runs quite deep, seems to be quite, quite multifaceted. I, I sort of tend to date it back to something like the early 70s, the oil shocks, the inflation, a time when, you know, money no longer grew on trees because we didn't have this incredible tailwind of scientific and technological progress that, that was just advancing on its own. So, um, so yeah, to, so to recap where we are on the argument, the, uh, the rebuttal to the rebuttal to classical liberalism, the rebuttal to, the cla to classical liberalism is just, we don't need to do the humanities, we don't need to ask questions about the university, about the whole, we can just, we can just focus, and we can just tell people to, um, to be organized, disciplined, and work on, on sciences, sort of like the way the New York Times wrote about the, the Manhattan Project in uh, 1945, sort of paraphrasing it, but sort of, you know, there are these sort of free market, uh, libertarian type people who think that, uh, you know, uh, who didn't believe that science should be run by the military, but, um, you know, they, they've hopefully, they're, they're gonna be quiet now because the military was able to, when they organized all these scientists, was able to invent this device, a nuclear bomb, in three and a half short years, which maybe if you'd left the prima donna scientists to their own device, it would have taken 50 years or something like that. Um, but Well, again, you had unlimited resources, you had compartmentalization at work, you had tons of people working on the project had no idea what they're working on all right and, and to me it, it's not it's not a lesson in keep your mouth shut it's a lesson in that's how the system really works you know look up operation harass look up the horton brothers figure out the flying wing has been around for a long time and how that's developed into the stealth program think about where we're at in propulsion systems all right underground but anyway, New York Times doesn't write articles, op-eds like that anymore. And uh, so there was, yeah, but there was sort of a certain non-classically liberal organization regimentation that uh, you know, may accelerate, may have accelerated things for a while, but uh, that now is completely exhausted. And uh, and so instead of getting into this debate about rigor Bertamentu, Shakespeare, or string theory, um, the rebuttal to the rebuttal is they're not doing string theory, they're not doing science. It is it is all stalled out beyond belief. And uh, and this is, as I said, this is sort of the the uh, the main frame of this debate that I've been uh, been giving for uh, argument that I've been making for something like the last uh, two decades. Now, one of the questions I always get asked in this context is, well, why why did it stall out? What what happened? What went what went wrong? And then my sort of sort of slightly politically correct answer was always, well, you know, questions that start with why are always overdetermined. They're hard to answer. It's probably determined by a whole bunch of different things. And, you know, you can say um, there's too much regulation. You know, the FDA regulates um, biotech too much, so it's hard to do things in biotech. You know, if you, have, um, you, know, if, if you, if you had as little regulation as you have for video games for new uh, drugs, maybe we'd have more drugs. There's sort of there are ways you can sort of blame education or government funding. Um, but the, um, but the I think that's absurd, by the way, video games and uh, medications. Look, the, the FDA, no doubt, is a cartel but it's set up that way, all right? And I don't necessarily think that the technology itself has stalled out. I think it's gone more underground, all right? And I, and I don't think that um, they want it upscaled until they have their command and control systems in place where you have a social and, a social and carbon credit score. And again, Thiel is a guy who is very much in the backdoor meetings on these things, period. He is a steering member at Bilderberg. The single answer that I've, I've come to believe um, as to why, why it is stalled out 
Um, and this is, and I believe this has now actually become the, the, the argument um, on the part of the universities, on the part of our zombie center-left establishment, is something like um, science and technology are just too dangerous. And so what, what, um, what looks like it's a bug, that things are no longer progressing, is actually a feature. And we should be really, really happy that it's not progressing because um, science and technology are this giant trap that humanity is building for itself. And this is, this is sort of what gets articulated in all sorts of different versions, um, existential risks, you know, there's all these ways that, that, uh, that this, uh, this, this, um, these things sort of background probably, and again, you know, these timelines overlap in, in different ways. Probably the, the original version of this was already um, involved um, nuclear power, nuclear weapons, thermonuclear weapons, the fear of, for fear of nuclear war. It didn't probably hit people right away in 1945, but, uh, but by the time you get to, um, you know, by the time you get to the late 60s, early 70s, you get someone like Charles Manson, uh, the crazed person on LSD, goes around killing everybody in Los Angeles. You know, if you ask, what did he see? What did he see on his psychedelic drugs? Um, well, he figured out the world was coming to an end, and therefore you could be like uh, Raskolnikov and Dostoevsky, and nothing, everything was permitted in, in this crazy world. You could do anything you, anything you could do to stop science, to, um, to, to slow it down, because uh, it was just accelerating in this, in this catastrophic way. Let me stop it. There's a lot of fallacies in what he just said there. First of all, I do agree that science has been slowed because they feel it's dangerous. And when I say they, the predator class feels it's dangerous to give again the populace access to this stuff because it can be used for empowerment and enslavement. They're using it for enslavement. They don't want to empower the populace. Let's start there. All right. And then he kind of gets into this idea almost of the Unabomber Kaczynski via Charles Manson. Okay. That while Manson realized the world was going to end through LSD, and if you read chaos about Charles Manson, sure seems like Manson was part of some government programs. Sure seems like Manson had some connections with that FBI we were talking about before. Sure appears that Manson might have had some CIA connections as well. Hmm. Remember LSD, just one of the drugs, one of the many drugs that they were utilizing during uh, their little mind control ops. Just saying, just saying, Peter. So again, I feel like the technology is already there. It's highly classified, compartmentalized, militarized, and will be only upscaled when these people feel like they have enough control over the populace that there's no chance for revolt. And I think something like this is is true of so many of these different areas that uh, if we really think about it they have sort of this this dangerous there is some sort of dangerous dual use component that you know um that the space program was was you know had the dual use thing of just uh, delivering icbms more quickly halfway around the planet it's what's going on at least he's being honest about that we talk about the cargo ships that are taking military cargo via spacex anywhere in an hour we talk about the starlink system being utilized in ukraine that's what the vast majority of that program is. It's militarized space, Peter. Or, um, or, the, or sort of the rhetorical question I'd like to ask in, in, in an American context is, 
you know, why can't we have ticker tape parades for individuals? Why can't we celebrate individuals anymore and sort of ticker tape parade in New York? And, um, and it, why can't, let's, let's pick left-wing individuals, individuals who fit the left-wing narrative. Why can't we have a ticker tape parade for the, you know, one or two the key scientists who developed the mRNA vaccine? We're told this is this fantastic scientific technological breakthrough. Why can't we celebrate this? And um, the reason they can't celebrate it is the mRNA uh, hate and lie shots that were developed were, again, developed by what? The Defense Department through compartmentalization in conjunction with private corporations that were indemnified, Peter. That's why. That's why. All right. And that's why we wanted to watch this whole thing. I didn't want to let him off the hook and be portrayed as some kind of hero because he warned against world government, all right? The fact of the matter is that we shouldn't be celebrating those people. And it wasn't just one person that came up with the, the hate and lies, bro. You and I both know it, Pete. And my sort of cultural thesis is that uh, it is immediately adjacent in people's minds to this great existential fear because the mRNA vaccines somehow remind us of um, this thing going on in the Wuhan lab that was called, had this Orwellian term, gain-of-function research, which sounds sort of like a bioweapons program in disguise. And if that doesn't sound like a bioweapons program in disguise. It is a bioweapons program in disguise. It's actually like a bioweapons program in the open. That's why Husseini used the term bioweapons when questioning the Biden official, Peter. You can... And so, yes, if you can, um, if you can manipulate DNA, you can come up with these fantastic mRNA vaccines. Um, does that also mean that it's immediately adjacent to these, uh, to these sort of terrific, um, terrific destructive weapons? Yes. Probably, um, you know, probably the, uh, the area, the existential risk area that's, uh, you know, that's the most, um, that's the most uh, um, inside tech, you know, if you say, and again, tech is always a strange word where it used to mean all these areas, uh, and it just came to mean IT, computers. But within computers, probably the, the, the futuristic narrative is always around AI, artificial intelligence, artificial general intelligence, all these things. And, and again, I like that he says he doesn't want to use the term AI because it's not really artificial intelligence. It's being programmed by somebody. Garbage in, garbage out. Okay, it's not self-learning in the sense um, that you think, and it is not what we're being sold on in the media. 20 years ago, when um, I started getting involved in all these things, the narrative was still, it was still generally a positive utopian. It was, it was people thought, you know, it's kind of a dangerous technology. You know, if you, if you build uh, this, uh, this, this computer that's as smart or smarter than any human being in the world, it's kind of dangerous, but we're gonna have to work really hard to make sure it's friendly, that it's aligned with humans, and uh, and and it was still sort of circa 2003. Whatever misgivings people might have had about biotech or you know or um, rockets or uh, nuclear um, uh, uh, power, uh, they, they did not yet have about AI, and the AI narrative was still a generally positive utopian one. And uh, and there's sort of a strange way where this has completely flipped. Over the last um, over the last decade or so, I was I was involved with a thing called the uh, Singularity Institute, which um, pushed uh, was sort of accelerationist utopian technology. We, we were progressing. We need to progress faster. We need to, of course, be a little bit careful.
I mean, the Singularity Institute is transhumanism, guys. The Singularity is Kurzweilian, guys. That that's why we're doing this, because oh, you're you're hearing from somebody on the inside. All right, at least some of the thoughts and postulations. And by the way, Deal's being more honest than most. And, and again, maybe because it's in this university setting, but. I want to reiterate again, he doesn't seem very comfortable. I've seen him speak before. I don't think I've ever seen him um, look this uncomfortable while he's speaking. Stutter and stammer so much. It's odd. And I sort of remember thinking to myself, by 2015, I reconnected with some of these people, and it didn't feel like they were really pushing the, uh, the AI thing as fast as before. And it had sort of devolved into you know, some kind of escapist Burning Man camp. Um, and you sort of got the sense that uh, it had shifted from transhumanism to Luddite, something Luddite, where, no, actually, we want to slow this down. It, it feels kind of dangerous. It's kind of, it's kind of, a, bad, it's kind of a bad thing on, on net. So again, I mean, openly, talking about how it is transhumanism. And for those that don't know what a Luddite means, that's somebody that is supposedly anti-technology. But I would say just concerned about certain types of technology. In in the uh, Amazon show, I talk about upload. The people that are opposed to the idea of uploading your consciousness, which is ultimately uh, what they plan on doing to the surf class, telling you you can upload your consciousness to this virtual arena. They call those people the LUDs, and that's short for uh, Luddite. And uh, this this finally, this, this suspicion... I think was finally confirmed. You can look this up on the internet. Uh, I'm going to read this. It's from April 2022, less than a year ago. Uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky, who's one of the sort of thought leaders of the sort of futurist um, AI, um, um, and the, it's a, to, uh, a post from the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, and it's announcing a new death with dignity strategy. And so, the, and so uh, the the short version of this. It's obvious at this point that humanity isn't going to solve the alignment problem of how to get the AI aligned with humans, or even try very hard, or even go out with much of a fight. Since survival is unattainable, we should shift the focus of our efforts to helping humanity die with slightly more dignity. You see that? You hear that? You wonder why I talk about not only just a post-truth world or a trans human future, but really a post-human future, because guys like that are writing about it openly and saying that the species just needs to die with dignity. And, and again, I think this is an inversion of the reality that this is being contrived and pushed forward by a predator class at the top that really do believe that they are going to use uh, biotech to live forever in this human biological form, not in some kind of virtual universe. And, and uh, again, I, I think Deal, uh, he's, he's hobnobbing with those people all over. Uh, again, I want to underscore, you don't deserve to die with a lot of dignity because you're not going to try very hard or even go out with much of a fight. Um, but uh, but it, is, it, is, it is an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary way that the, uh, the, the context has shifted. Um, you know, I, I'm probably 
and of course, you know, we can come up with other ones, probably the, uh, the sort of the most uh, mass market version of this sort of catastrophic existential risk is the, uh, the climate change, um, the climate change one where, um, you know, I, I can just, uh, you know, reference, uh, probably reference Greta and the, the sort of autistic children's crusade. And um, see, the thing is that Teal sits there and kind of exposes the idea that this Greta Thunberg thing and the climate thing is being pushed and it, it's a facade and it's, you know, they're pushing this poor autistic child upon people in this autistic viewpoint, but he works hand and hand and arm and arm with those people that are behind ESG. I don't think he's the competing viewpoint. And, uh, and it is again. This is uh, this is how how the world is is going to end. This sort of runaway technology. And of course, you know, um, all these things. I don't want to minimize. Don't want to say they're they're not real. But it's striking how none of the solutions involve more technology. So the solution to climate change is not you know fusion reactors. The solution to you know nuclear um, nuclear um, weapons is not better anti ballistic missile systems. This you know the solution. Um, the solution to AI, you know, uh, the solution to biotech is not accelerating the research even faster. It is just somehow, somehow stopping it altogether. And, uh, and, and, you know, one is tempted to say that if anything, most of these people are, are insufficiently apocalyptic. You know, you want, you want to, you want to get Greta, I don't actually want to talk to her, but, but you want to get someone like Greta and tell her, you know, wow, you are a very complacent non-apocalyptic person because you're only worried about this climate change thing and we also have this nuclear weapons thing that has made people go crazy for 70 years already and we have we have the agi that's going to kill everybody at the singularity and we have you know and we have uh we have the wuhan lab which you don't seem to be worried about at all and uh, the bioweapons and uh, we have we have this happening on on so many so many different dimensions and this is roughly where i think the zeitgeist is in in uh, 2022 2023 um, the sort of central left zombie zeitgeist as articulated by, by the universities. It is, it is, we're not doing science. We're proud that we're not doing science. We're proud that we're stopping science. We're proud that it, um, it is, um, it has been slowed down as much as possible. See, I, I think a lot of that's conflated, you know, as, as these people, again, and the predator class and what he would say is the left or the university system use these authoritative science uh, sources, say that the science is settled. It's always settled. Right. And then obviously he, he brings up a lot of things we're talking about here or that are being talked about even in the mainstream that challenge these ideal sets. OK, but at the same time, the science has accelerated behind the scenes, but it is rules for you know, me and not for thee. That's how I feel about it, Peter. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit unfair to pick, pick on him, but I, I, um, I, I reference an Oxford professor, Nick Bostrom, who, um, is, is at least smart enough to know that all these things add up and that these are all problems. And, um, there's not just sort of one or the other. And, um, and I think of him as sort of a mouthpiece of the zeitgeist. Um, and he sort of wrote this paper back in 2019. So this was pre-COVID, before everyone went totally insane with COVID. So it uh, doesn't have that excuse, but called the vulnerable world hypothesis, sort of 
and it outlines all these different existential risks, climate change, nuclear weapons, um, runaway nanotechnology, the robots killing everybody, the AI killing everybody, runaway bioweapons, et cetera, et cetera. And, and there are four things that must be done to stabilize the world. Um, uh, again, it's written in the most boring language possible. It's just channeling the zeitgeist. Every time I hear stabilization of the planet, it, it, it sets off alarm, bill, uh, alarm bells in my head, kind of like when I hear uh, the term sustainability. I'm always worried about stabilization. Um, uh, number one, restrict technological development. Number two, ensure that there does not exist a large population of actors representing a wide and recognizably human distribution of motives. I, I believe that's diversity. But um, um, but then uh, he goes on to say that one and two sort of don't quite happen on their own. And therefore you need number three, establish a extremely effective preventive policing. So, so, I mean, you're talking about authoritarianism and collectivism, right? And that's one of the things that we highlight here constantly that, yeah, you want to talk about Marxism or communism, right? At the end of the day, it's all about the collective. And he, he's, he's really correct when he says, you know, they want the opposite of diversity. So again, it's an inversion of reality. Diversity is promoted, but conformity is expected. And conformity is going to be what? Enforced. And number four, you need to establish effective global governance. There it is. And um, and I, he does not quite use the word totalitarian, but it is basically, um, you know, the, um, the, solution, the solution to the sort of um, existential uh, risks in our vulnerable world is to have a is to have a one world totalitarian state. So now we're circling back to the end of his speech. And uh, I'll tell you what, we're, we're gonna play up to the point where he goes to take the question and answers. Uh, we may take some of the question, do some of the question and answers uh, on tomorrow's show. This was just such an important speech. I, I just couldn't break anything out of it. I felt like we wanna give this as much context as possible. So after we finish this up, we're also gonna play the AI chat GPT commercial with myself and two UFC legends, uh, Pat Militich and Jens Pulver. So well, let's let's finish with the world government and Peter Thiel. And um, <clears throat> and this gets me to my uh, my my concluding point. The um, the anti 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 classical liberal argument is that uh, if we are going to enumerate all these existential risks, and I mean, we have to talk about them, we have to discuss them, we have to think about them. We should not hide under the rock and pretend these things are not real, but we have to make the list complete. And I would, I would include as a very, very serious existential risk, um, you know, the risk if, if you end up with a one world totalitarian state, that also counts as an existential risk. And it seems to me that we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't, uh, it, uh, we shouldn't uh, short be too short-sighted about that one. We uh, we should we should always fight that. That's something that always needs to be stopped. You know, um, you know, I I, I should I should uh, not need to remind you that in the uh, you know in the sort of quasi-mythological New Testament account, the the slogan of the Antichrist is peace and safety, and um, and uh, and that there is there is you know we, we're we're told that um, there's nothing worse than Armageddon. But perhaps there is. Perhaps we should fear the Antichrist. Perhaps we should fear the one world totalitarian state. 
uh, more than Armageddon, and uh, perhaps we should uh, we should stick with uh, some of the tried and true um, ideas of classical realism this, this organization and this institution has been supporting for 200 years and keep going for another another 200. Thank you very much. So there it is. Um, you know, I take it all with a grain of salt. All right, before we hit the uh, the commercial, which uh, I, I think is is funny and good stuff, Evan Rachel Wood denies she manipulated Marilyn Manson, accused her to lie about sexual assault, and files three years' worth of correspondence to back up the claim. Evan Rachel Wood is the star of Westworld, and she has made accusations against Marilyn Manson that um, while they were uh, partaking in sadomasochism and bondage and her being tied up and feeling helpless in a dungeon scenario that he um, physically threatened to kill her and uh, abused her, you know, in unspeakable ways. Right. And I've seen her testimony seems to be like it could be the real deal. And uh, apparently somebody else who dated him, Ashley Morgan Smith line, don't know that person came out and said um, basically, you know, similar things i mean there's also things of sexual nature you can imagine i'm not going to get into all of it um but now has rescinded all of her claims against marilyn manson uh this is a story that i'm going to continue to follow because look um i realize that the entertainment industry has a bunch of facades but when you look at marilyn manson in particular i realize he's an intelligent guy and some of that is still an act Sometimes the darkness is real. Sometimes you're not Alice Cooper, just saying. Thomas Massey, government created the virus, government created the vaccine, government forced the vaccine. Whose lives did government improve? Whose lives did government ruin? All right, problem, reaction, solution is correct. You see, you know, so I post this and you get a lot of anonymous losers, okay, um, that, that want to, uh, that want to chime in. And uh, I only, whenever an anonymous loser on Twitter, that I, I'll go check their profile. And then when I see there's no picture and I they, where they're not following me and they're spamming the same thing everywhere, they get like one post on how it must suck to be them. And then I never interact with them again. And I usually don't block them. I'll mute them. I don't want to give them that satisfaction. Sometimes I'll block them. But, you know, they, they're like, they'll call somebody like me a maggot. Like, I, first of all, not MAGA. Don't talk about making America great again, ever. Don't wear a red hat. Don't pump Trump. Okay, Thomas Massey, everything he said there was correct. But I'm a maggot. And I'm just like, you're. I mean, think about it. This person hides behind a keyboard all day and regurgitates talking points while insulting others and calling them liars. What a horrible existence. God, can you, can you imagine how physically repulsive that person is on top? of having like a repulsive soul and personality. Yuck, ickety pooski, yuckety yuck yuck. No, thank you. Um, talk about a spike protein Fauci-backed British virologist, Peter Daszak shares a Russian study that suggests COVID might've come from a hedgehog in apparent uh, attempt to afflict, uh, deflect lab leak criticism. Yeah, I mean, Daszak's on tape talking about quote unquote gain of function and basically bioweapons research talking about the wuhan lab talking about what he's doing oh no it's zoonotic it's a hedgehog 
zoonotic virus. You know, I, I didn't cover it, but Lightfoot didn't Lightfoot didn't even get 17% in her bid for re-election last night. That's great news. That's 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 good times and nursery rhymes. Blue Cross Blue Shield says pediatric pays pediatricians $40,000 bonus for fully vaccinating 100 patients under the age of 2. So if you want to inject your your 2-year-old and under, okay? Um you get $400 per combo. So so there it is right there. There there are all the uh the criteria. Let's 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 just Bop, bop that up there. So that's 4, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 15, 19, 20, 22, 24. You want to 24 shots, okay, in 100 kids. So that's 2,400 shots in children, 40 grand. You wonder why they push this shit on you. That's disgusting. These people are gross. Ew. You. All right, I promised it, and now you're gonna get it, like it or not. Let's let's take it away and let's let's do this caged aggression commercial written by Chat GPT. clothing for fat people is they go why do we make it loud <laughs> and let's give them fatigues because they're not in the military and can't be <laughs> ladies and gents it's time to unleash the hounds and put on your fighting pants because we're getting ready to rumble in the jungle of Caged Aggression's final three-night event, The Trilogy. I'm your host, Hall of Famer and former UFC champion Pat Militich, and I'm joined by my boy Jason Burmis. Jason, we're like two kids in a candy store getting ready to sink our teeth into cage-side commentary. That's right, Pat, and we're here to bring you three nights of pure, unadulterated MMA. Three straight nights of MMA madness starting on Thursday, March 23rd. That's right. We've got veterans from the UFC, Pride, Bellator, over 70 fighters ready to enter the cage and make history. It's going to be a wild ride, folks. The energy in the arena is going to be off the charts. I can already feel the excitement in the air, Pat. And I'm so excited I might actually jump in the cage and be somebody's ass myself. Remember to reserve your place at the River Center for this three-night mega event on March 23rd, 24th, and 25th, or watch the fights alongside Pat and I. Bring side broadcasting live on pay-per-view at Cage aggression.tv and make sure to crap uh, okay cut all right pat what is this take 20 what's going on here pro is it amateur hour what's going on i think it's missing something though there's something that's not here that we need to have um uh, oh it's a neat pat more cowbell huh roll it <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
have fun. I'm a lucky guy. Guys, I do want to thank everybody for coming over to the premium section of the broadcast. Perhaps uh, tomorrow we'll go further into uh, Peter Thiel. I want to remind everybody, to me, it's not about right or left. It's always about right and wrong. Even though Thiel was talking about classical liberalism and classic conservatism, I would argue that we've got to look into the methods of command, control, compartmentalization, go further into NASA and Operation Paperclip and all these other things um, before we make these blanket statements of what's actually going on. And yes, there are some big warnings in there as well, but I think that we have to take them with a grain of salt. I want to remind everybody you are a premium subscriber and you haven't seen my documentary films loose change final cut fabled enemies invisible empire a new world order to find and shade the motion picture are free right here right now i absolutely love you guys i hope that we can all come together and become the great resistance to this very real great reset agenda i'll see you on the flip side